The scripture for this morning is taken from Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 18. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, and that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I, and the children of God has given me, the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted and is able to help those who are being tempted. So ends the reading of his word. Have you ever had the opportunity to talk to somebody famous? Somebody who you've only like seen at a distance, maybe only seen them on TV, movies, or a musician that you've heard on the radio? Some of you have always been a bit distanced to, and you had the opportunity to come before them and, and talk and ask them questions. It feels a little weird sometimes when that distance is closed and you have the opportunity to actually have a conversation with them like as a normal person. I had this opportunity once. Can you throw that picture up there for me, Dave? Some of you may know, well, I've only been here about 10 months, so we're continuing to peel back the layers on the onion of who I am and and what I liked. And I used to play in a band that was loud and screamy. I played bass and we thrashed around, so... I did listen to Ozzy Osbourne from time to time, Black Sabbath, and I did not get the opportunity to interview Ozzy, who's there on the left, but I did get to interview his guitarist currently, Zach Wilde, there on the right, a 
appropriately last name of Wild, right? He played, a band, he played a show in Sacramento. I was working for the college radio station at Sac State, and we heard he was coming, and me and a friend of mine said, we would love to interview Zach. Let's just email and see if we can do it. And so we emailed his manager, and they said, yeah, great. Come to the show for free. We'll get you in, and you can interview him after. Yes. I get to interview Zach Wild. We go to the show. It's a great time. Then after, we're like, hey, Zach, can we talk? He's like, yeah, come on into the tour bus. Hang out. Sit down. And we sit down, and we have the most normal conversation you could ever imagine. It's just like talking to a normal person. Talk about music, things he liked. He loved the Beatles. Big influence for him. He loved Elton John. And you'd look at him, and you'd be like, no way. Beatles, Elton John. And he's there shredding his swirly guitar. It was awesome. And I learned, most importantly, that he's just, he's just a normal guy. Had likes, dislikes, talked normal. I think we can have sometimes that perspective when we think about Jesus. This perspective that it's really easy for us to see Jesus in that fully God category that we've already talked about through the book of Hebrews so far. We can see him as, I think sometimes gets the, the Jesus that gets played in the movies is that stone-faced, stoic, floating barely above the ground, speaking in parables and ushering all sorts of wisdom. He seems really wise, but doesn't like, I can't, quite get to that Jesus, because he doesn't seem quite fully human. And that puts him a little bit beyond us, right? He comes, he's unreachable when he's like that. When we see him in that fully divine character, we don't feel like we can quite grasp him. And really, there's nothing that wrong with that idea either, because God is transcendent. God is above anything we could ever consider or think of. He is beyond us. And we've spent a bit of time already talking about Jesus and this fully God, uh, the part of Jesus that's fully God, because the author of Hebrews opens the book of Hebrews in verses 1 through 4 when he writes, The Son of God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is who Jesus is in the fully divine attributes of God. Jesus has been there since the beginning, sustaining all things, being the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his character. But there is another essential part, I think, that we need to understand about Jesus, who Jesus is and how he affects us in our lives. And the EPC essential number two helps us understand that a little bit. Can you put that up for me, Dave? This is how it begins. Jesus Christ, the living word, became flesh through his miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit and his virgin birth. He who is true God became true man, united in one person forever. This is the first part. Go back for me, Dave. I want to focus on a couple things on that one. Can you go back to the other one? There we go. Jesus Christ, the what? Living word became what? Flesh through his miraculous what? 
conception by the Holy Spirit and his virgin. He who is true God became. There's some like man fleshly stuff in there, right? Next one. Continuing with the essential, he what? Died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins according to the scriptures. On the third day he arose from the? Man, gods don't die, do they? Ascended into heaven where at the right hand of the majesty on high, he is now our high priest and mediator. Built into this essential is the essentialness of Jesus being fully human, along with being fully God. Yes, he is the eternal living word, but he became flesh. He was conceived in a womb. He was given birth to. He became a true man, and he died on a cross. And more importantly, the affirmation that he arose bodily from the dead. The flesh and bones came up out of the tomb. The verses today that was read, and as is essential for the EPC make, made clear, Jesus came down and became fully incarnate, fully human, along with the fullness of his divinity. And this can be hard for us to grasp sometimes. Because we don't really like our bodies sometimes, do we? We don't like this stuff. It's weird. It does strange things, things we don't like it to do, and it often reminds us that we are mortal. We have limitations. Being here in this world as a human in flesh and blood isn't always easy. But if we want to fully grasp the totality of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us, we need to also understand him in this space in a body like ours it's a grand mystery to be sure but we need to know that even in this space jesus remains the radiance of god's glory the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word as the author of hebrews has already told us so today i'd like to explore why this needed to happen why does the author of hebrews lay out that it needed to happen that jesus came down and became a person and lived in a body? Why isn't just the divinity of Jesus enough? Why isn't worshiping a Jesus who's just fully divine and spiritual and beyond all of us enough? The main point I'd like to get us to today is this. Can you put that up for me, Dave? Thank you. We see that the flesh and blood is valued by God as Jesus comes down fully human and fully God, and leads humanity as the pioneer of our salvation. Again, we see that the flesh and blood is valued by God as Jesus comes down fully human and fully God and leads humanity as the pioneer of our salvation. The verses today from Hebrews chapter 2 begins, and the, the author or the preacher quotes Psalm 8. He says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, the psalmist writes, and that the author of Hebrews brings forward to talk about Jesus here. 
He talks about the creation of man. You have made man a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. As with all things, I like to go back to the beginning. Because that's what the author of Hebrews and the psalmist is calling us to is the creation story and what God did for humanity in the creation story. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. This is the imperative of God and the idea of God that the psalmist and that the author of Hebrews is calling to mind. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? The son of man that you care for them. Making them a little lower than the angels, you crown them with glory and put everything under their feet. This is what God intended to do from the beginning by putting man as ruler over the fish of the sea and all of creation. God loved the creation and God gave humanity this flesh and blood body and wanted us to rule as his image as his ambassadors over the world that he created, over everything that God set up and called very good. But we know the story. It didn't take too long for things to fall apart. Instead of ruling and subduing all the plants and the animals, what happens? A snake shows up, an animal, that tempts Adam and Eve to not trust God. And deceives them to eat what? Some fruit. A plant. So right from the get-go, humanity has not lived up to its responsibility to rule over the animals and the plants. It has fallen prey to an animal and a plant. Humanity was to be the image and ambassador of God, creating good things, continuing in God's good work in the world, but it didn't happen. They failed the first test. In a marriage, we take vows. We say grand things about honoring and sickness and in health until death do us part and I love you forever. And if any of you have been married for a while, you know sometimes you forget those pretty quick. I've told the story before, but literally days after we were married, myself and Courtney, I came down, I made some scrambled eggs for myself, and Courtney came down, and she said, hey, where, where's my scrambled eggs? Oh, that's right, this is, this is a two thing now, like we're in this together. It took me like three days, and I already forgot some stuff. I think what the good news at this point is, is that God didn't give up. God didn't give up on the creation and continued to work with humanity through the people that seemed, worked with people who seemed like they might get this whole image role right. And if you read through the rest of the story, you get examples of these. You think for a minute that they might get it, but then you realize very quickly that they've lost track. Noah saves all of creation with his ark, but then he gets drunk with wine. Abraham's called righteous by God, but then he lies about the relationship with his wife to Pharaoh. Jacob is just a deceiver from day one. 
and wrestles with God the whole time. Moses is saved by God to deliver his people, but he kills somebody. And he waffles between performing miracles for God and actually trusting God. Read the book of Judges. You get to Samson, who's given great strength to save his people and to deliver his people, but he uses it selfishly, never quite getting to where God wanted him to be until the very end when he sacrifices himself. Hmm, that's interesting. David, a man after God's own heart, but misuses his power as a king when he sees Bathsheba on the roof and calls her in. Solomon, the wisest man and king, brings all sorts of riches and glory to Israel, but gives in to the temptation of his multiple wives and is distracted by them and the other gods that they're worshiping. And on and on and on through the Old Testament. It's almost like we're continually being told in the Bible that on our own, we can't ever get this right. That first sin of Adam continues to rule in all of our hearts, no matter how hard we try. And maybe that's what we needed to understand in the first place. But thankfully, like Yoda says in Star Wars, after Luke abruptly leaves his training and the Empire strikes back, There is another. Jesus is made a little lower than the angels, the author of Hebrews continues. But we do see Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. Okay, let's get this out of the way. The author of Hebrews has talked about angels a lot up to this point. And we're like, okay, what is it with the angels? This seems a little weird, right? And honestly, it's a bit of a mystery. I looked into it in commentaries and studying, like, why is he bringing up the angels and comparing Jesus to angels so much in this thing? And it's without really knowing the context that the author of Hebrews is writing into, we don't really know. But if I had to hazard an educated guess, I think there is something about the temptation of angels being God's messengers, eternal and perfect beings that we like to focus on them a lot. There are these easy-to-like, beautiful things that are always taking care of us and watching over us. Why muddy things up with working with flesh and blood? I think what the author of Hebrews is addressing here is that there might be a distraction with people, again, just focusing on the spiritual side of things. Let's, maybe Jesus was just an angel. We can't see him as fully God, so he's just the, as fully man. He's just spiritual. That's great. We can worship that. And like I said, it's hard because when we think about our humanity, we don't like this body. We often don't like being in this space. We'd rather find a way around it. Last week was Courtney's birthday, and we decided to go snowboarding. It'd been about five years since I'd been snowboarding. I'm still feeling that snowboarding. My body hurts. Those aches and pains stuck around a little bit longer than they have before. Focusing on the spiritual things, sometimes we can avoid the aches and the pains of this body and think, oh, I just just want to get out of it. And ultimately, like I said, focusing on the spiritual isn't bad, but sometimes we can get so distracted by it that we fall into like the old adage says, that we become so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. 
And even in the context that the author of Hebrews was writing into, there was a recent example of where people were focusing on this. In Rome, the emperor Julius Caesar, towards the end of his life, people started to see him like a god. And after he died, this comet appeared in the sky. And the ancient historian Suetonius said, A comet shone for seven successive days, rising about the 11th hour, and we believed it to be the soul of Julius Caesar. They believed that this comet was the soul of Julius Caesar, arising into the heavens, taking his place, seated with the gods. His soul, not his body. His soul had escaped. He had gone to the higher place, the better place. This, I think, is why the example of Jesus as fully God and fully man is so amazing. All the examples at that time were about people wanting to get out of the body. And here in Jesus, we have an example. Like the author of Hebrews says, But we do see Jesus. Like Paul writes similarly in Philippians, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped. For a little while, Jesus was made lower. Jesus came down. Jesus didn't stay up there. Jesus didn't escape. He came down to be like one of us, to suffer, to be tempted, to taste death. The whole purpose and goal was that Jesus had to come down, to be made a little lower than the angels, to be born, to be made incarnate in the flesh, to grow up, to walk around, to suffer, to be hungry, to feel the aches and pains of a tired body, to feel the heat of the sun baking on his skin as he wandered around in the wilderness, to feel the cold of being out on the Sea of Galilee during that great storm, and ultimately to taste death. Like the author, and like Paul in Philippians writes, even death on a cross. Which the author of Hebrews says that all of this happened so that Christ could be the pioneer of our salvation. To be the first one to lead us. We live here in Nevada County. This is like legit pioneer territory, Right? Like, all the people coming west, like, this is some of the places where they, like, did their hardest work. Donner Summit's not that far away. The Donner Party and them coming over and everything that they suffered and went through to come here. There's hardy folks up here, I've learned, especially through this snowstorm. I shoveled snow in that parking lot for about an hour with Gita Wilson who had told me that she had already shoveled her driveway at home. Janine Sowell, our counselor, was snowed in at her house. And finally, when she came in, we saw her. We was like, hey, you're you're doing okay? She's like, yeah, I'm great. I pulled out my chainsaw. I cut on some trees and limbs and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, wait, you did what? Hardy people, because of suffering, This isn't fun. This is hard. But you become hardier because of what you've gone through. And Jesus is the first, the pioneer of our salvation because he suffered 
and died and went through all of this stuff like we would so that we can follow him. The author of Hebrews says Jesus was perfected through his suffering. Not that he might escape and ascend away from all of this like Julius Caesar, but that so we might ultimately be a family. He came down, he lived a life, and because he suffered and died, Jesus can now call us brothers and sisters, the author of Hebrews says. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, we are no longer under the curse of being a part of Adam's family. Jesus does what Adam and nobody else could do so that we are now brought into new life, into the new family of Jesus. Not in spite of this flesh and blood, but because of it. And after going through all that, Jesus as the pioneer now leads us in a very unique way. The author of Hebrews at the end of these uh, verses we read today writes, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus was suffered and tempted, he is able to help as none of the other people or even as none of the other high priests in the Old Testament could before. The role of the high priest in Israel was to be this mediator between God and man. They were the ones who went into the holiest of holy places in the temple once a year to offer the sacrifice of atonement, to cover over the sins of the whole nation. And even those people were not good enough because they were still affected by the curse and the sin of Adam. And now we have Jesus who has come down, who has lived as we have, who has suffered and been tempted and tried and died as we will. Now he can be not only our pioneer, but our high priest in the heavenly temple, which the author of Hebrews will go into a lot more later. But serving as our high priest, offering atonement for us, so that we too can be invited into the most holy place, into the holy of holies. I like how the author of Hebrews says that he is our merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. He is our merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. One of the commentators I read says, Being one of us not only qualified Jesus to be a merciful priest, but also equipped him, to be the model to whom believers look. He is the pioneer and perfecter of the faith pilgrimage, showing his followers how to bear suffering, endure hostility, and disregard shame. Believers could not be expected to walk in the steps of one who had not walked in theirs. If Jesus was just fully divine, it'd be really easy for us to sit back, cross our arms, and be like, yeah, okay, I can't do that. But Jesus came down and was made like one of us so that we can follow him as the pioneer of our salvation. This weekend, uh, I went to the Presbytery meeting with Jessica Ritchie and Trish Cunningham, and we got to see what all the churches were doing and all of this stuff going on. But the, one of the best parts of going to Presbytery is getting to worship with the church that we're at. And the church that we were visiting was the first Armenian Presbyterian church in Fresno. 
So we got to sing not only English worship songs, but we got to sing Armenian worship songs, which was a great blessing, hearing the praises of God being sung in different languages. And at one point, we ended up singing the really famous hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. And in one of the verses, it says this, and it hit me in a new way after having prepared and studied for this passage. It says, Crown Him the Lord of love. Behold His hands and his side, rich wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. No angels in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends their burning eye at mysteries so bright. In that hymn, we confess the truth that Jesus had a body and that he had wounds, and those wounds went with him into heaven. And now they are glorified as his body is glorified. And as the author of Hebrews talks about angels, no angels can understand why. What's the reasoning? And they can only bend to look down towards this mystery so bright. This is a grand mystery of the fully full humanity and full divinity of Jesus. It's really hard to wrap our minds around, and I've tried my best to give us a reason for that today. But on earth, we can be eternally grateful for this truth that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Because we have a Savior who has experienced everything that it means to be flesh and blood human. We have a Savior that loved us enough to come down to us and not just try to escape us. And now he is our great mediator and high priest leading us into the presence of God. And as a reminder Of the main point, ultimately we see that flesh and blood is valued by God as Jesus has come down fully human and fully God and leads humanity as the pioneer of our salvation. Amen. You were the word at the beginning One with God the Lord most high Hidden glory in creation Now revealed in you are Christ What a beautiful name it is What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Christ my King What a beautiful name it is Nothing compares to this What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus You didn't walk heaven without So Jesus, you brought heaven down Sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. 
Nothing compares to this What a wonderful name it is The name of Jesus What a wonderful name it is The name of Jesus Join me in prayer now. 